everybody. Welcome back to another episode of On The Mix. So I kind of wanted to do something a little different today. I think I say that every single episode. That's just by habit. I'm sorry, but it's true. Um, today, I thought I would like to dive into the history of MTV. How did MTV come about? And the, just the history behind it all, because to me, honestly, MTV is so revolutionary. But it's just really interesting to me to see how the concept of music videos came about uh, and just like the history behind that. To me, that's really, really fascinating. Um, I think we take, you know, music videos for granted. That's just a thing that we all grow up with and we understand that as normal. Um, but back then, you know, there was a time where that was not normal, that that's not how you got your music content. That's not how you heard from your favorite artists or bands or anything like that. So I just kind of wanted to give a bit of some backstory about MTV, some previous concepts before MTV came about, the launching, everything surrounding MTV. And then I wanted to give just maybe like a little list of a couple of very influential music videos that were spawned because of MTV. Without further ado, let's just jump right into some of the previous concepts behind MTV before MTV was MTV. So what I find really, really fascinating is the Beatles keep coming back as that band that is so inspirational and is so revolutionary to not only other bands and musicians, but to the music industry as a whole, as a collective. Because the Beatles here were really the ones to come out there with promotional videos before they were called music videos for some of their songs. And I mentioned that in my Beatles episodes um, that I did a couple of months ago, if you want to check those out. But if you already know the story, you know, the Beatles, they were doing promotional videos for some of their singles. Um, some, for example, off the top of my head that I can list is uh, Ticket to Ride, We Can Work It Out, Rain, Paperback Writer, um, and then, of course, they did some later ones like Strawberry Fields Forever, Something, Penny Lane, um, you know, yada yada, all of that. And even so, the actual films that they produced, like A Hard Day's Night and Help, those movies were pretty much just long form music videos put together with a plot behind the film, um, actually. When you really think about it, like no one else had ever really done that before. And they were over in England. And so over in America, the first person that I could think of that also had a foothold at first with some of those promotional clips was Bob Dylan. Now, love his music or hate his music or you just find him lukewarm, however you think about Bob Dylan. He also was very influential. Um, but over here, you know, across the pond in America, he was very influential. One of the promotional clips that he did for one of his singles was Subterranean Homesick Blues. And this has been copied a multitude of times throughout the decades. Basically, it's just him standing in an alleyway somewhere, I believe, in Brooklyn, New York. And he's holding up cue cards with the lyrics on the cue cards. It's just kind of setting the standard for how people back then were to showcase their music. I mean, back then, it was probably even a lot harder to showcase their music the Beatles and how they did it, where they would make films, actual like feature length films. They actually went about in creating creative concepts for music videos. Like I mentioned, Rain and Paperback Writer were two of the earlier incarnations of that, where they tried something a little different instead of just standing in a film studio and just singing along. You know what I'm saying? So it was it was stuff like that. 
the Beatles just keep coming back as that band that's so revolutionary. Um, and what's interesting was MTV later honored Richard Lester, who was the film director for A Hard Day's Night and Help, those two Beatle films there. They honored him with an award for basically inventing the music video. Just fantastic that the Beatles, again, are just influencing a whole media here of music videos. So good on them. I love them. So one of the earliest actual incarnations of an actual music radio program was in 1967, a Los Angeles company called Charlatan Productions began producing promotional films for rock groups with the different approach that involved basically interpreting the song's lyrical content. And around that idea, they crafted scripts and they put, you know, scenarios to match the lyrical content of the song. So, Charlatan Productions was founded by filmmakers Peter Gardner and Alan Davio. Tom Rounds, who was a former program director for San Francisco's Top 40 radio station, was brought on board as well as the Charlatan president. Under Tom Rounds' leadership for Charlatan and on contract to other record companies, the production company produced very short, basically um, song-length promotional films, right? And then they distributed those films on videotape to TV stations around the country. And then those little promotional clips would then be played on television. So Jimi Hendrix, like I said, he was one of these artists that was with Charlatan Productions. Other bands at the time were The Animals, Steppenwolf, Aretha Franklin, The Who, The Rascals, Paul Revere and The Raiders, Connie Francis, and Ricky Nelson, among others that had promotional films for their music made by Charlatan Productions. So that's just one iteration of it. Another iteration comes about in the 70s in 1974 by a man named Gary Van Haas, and he was vice president of Televac Corporation. And this company created Music Video TV, which was a dedicated TV channel with video disc jockeys to be shown in record stores across the U.S. and they promoted their promotional videos to distributors and retailers across, you know, the whole United States. So they as well were creating music videos and they were putting it on their own TV channel. It wasn't just promoting it to all TV stations. They had their specific channel to put their own videos on for music. MTV's original format was created by media executive Robert W. Pittman, later president and CEO of MTV. He tested the format of MTV by producing and hosting a 15-minute TV show called Album Tracks on New York City's Warner Brothers Cable's TV in the late 70s. So what's interesting is everyone seems to have this idea floating around in their head of a music video and different corporations were putting their own spin on it at the time. It's very fascinating, to be honest, but of course MTV was the one that was to make it successful. So Robert Pittman's boss was a Warner executive vice president and his name was John Lack. And John Lack had a hand in creating this TV show called Pop Clips with former Monkees musician Michael Nesmith. 
if you're familiar with the monkeys, like, hey, hey, we're the monkeys, right? And I didn't know this about him, but he actually wanted to create a form of a music video television program because Michael Nesmith was inspired by seeing this kind of format already happening in New Zealand at the time. New Zealand had a TV show called Radio and Pictures, essentially the same concept as a music video television program. Mike Nesmith, along with Warner executive John Lack, they created this TV show called Pop Clips in 1976. It's just crazy how this all just comes about. Like, it's just so funny that everyone basically had the same idea, but it's like whose idea would come out on top? You know what I'm saying? So another precursor of MTV was also in the late 70s. And it's a channel that was called Sight on Sound, which broadcasted clips from live performances and concerts. They weren't doing promotional clips for bands. They just put out music video kind of content like live performances and things like that. But what was specifically unique about Sight on Sound was that the audience actually had a hands-on approach when it came to this TV show. Like the program actually asked the viewers to either mail in or call in the show directly their votes for who their favorite artist, band, song, record was, and it would be mentioned on the show. So so now MTV is finally coming together, and this is a really, really, really big moment. So MTV launched on August the 1st, 1981, and this was a Saturday, and it launched at noon Eastern time. MTV was launched with the words, ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll, spoken by Warner executive John Lack. And then they played footage of the first space shuttle launch countdown of Columbia and the launch of Apollo 11. And this is the footage that they would use a lot over the years. Those opening words were followed by the original MTV theme song, and the tune was composed by Jonathan Elias and John Peterson. And then the logo of MTV came onto the screen. And that obviously is a major kind of selling point, I guess, if you will, for the TV show, right? Everyone knows the logo MTV. It's very synonymous with the 80s, the 90s, and youth culture back in the day. People wore like clothing items with MTV logo on it. Can you imagine anyone wearing like a t-shirt with a logo of a TV company on it? Back in the day, I would say that's probably a little bit off, like you wouldn't really see that, but the youth were really promoting this TV company. And of course, that was also the idea of these executives too, was to feed directly into the youth. So Haley did a good job with that. So what I actually found really interesting was the producers behind MTV, Alan Goodman and Fred Seibert, they actually wanted to use the Neil Armstrong quote, one small step, you know, for mankind and whatever. They wanted to use that instead of ladies and gentlemen rock and roll. However, their lawyer said that Neil Armstrong owned his name and his likeness and obviously his quote. And he said that he refused to give them the license to say that quote on the launch of MTV. So unfortunately, that's not what happened there. Um, And Fun fact and a big fact of music history, the very first music video that was to ever be played on MTV was The Buggles' Video Killed the Radio Star. That was the first music video ever. That's a good fact to store for like pub trivia or something. 
Now, I personally don't like the Buggles, and I personally don't like that song, Video Killed the Radio Star. I just don't really like it, to be honest. It's not my cup of tea. But I think that's very apt that that was the first song that was chosen. And there's a story behind why that was chosen in the first place. I mean, it made it kind of somewhat big across the pond where it was popular in the UK, you know, and in Europe, Australia, you know, whatever. It made it pretty decently big over there, but it wasn't a huge hit in America when it came out. What I thought was really interesting about MTV and how they started out first was they had the actual videotapes, the VHS tapes that played the music videos on it, right? And what they would do is every once in a while, the screen would turn black because the people working at MTV had to take out the videotape and put in a new tape that had more music videos on it to play. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Like you would be sitting at home watching the TV on MTV. It would turn black for a couple seconds and then back to your regularly scheduled programming because back at the station, they were exchanging out videotapes. I thought that's just so fascinating to me. So I was wondering personally, how come Video Killed the Radio Star was the first video that was played on MTV? Like what was the choice behind that? I was very curious. I mean, of course... I think the title speaks for itself pretty plainly, um, but I just wanted to look into it myself and say, well, how come that was the one? Like, what was the reasoning behind that? So just a little bit of backstory. The Buggles were a British new wave duo, and a little known fact that I also didn't know was Hans Zimmer was a part of that band. Yes, he was. He's also in the video if you take a look. It's very interesting. I didn't know that Hans Zimmer one of the biggest composers of all time in film ever was a part of the Buggles. Very interesting. Um, but Video Killed the Radio Star was released as a single in 1979, two years before MTV even started. And of course, it was written by the group's two members, Jeff Downs and Trevor Horn, alongside their singer-songwriter and producer, Bruce Woolley. So Trevor Horn commented that he read J.G. Ballard and had this vision of the future where record companies would have computers in the basement and manufacturer artists. Very interesting, that. He said it came from this idea that technology was on the verge of changing everything. And the theme of the song, Technology's Influence on Music, would become the song's running theme. And, of course, it makes sense why MTV wanted to choose that for their first video, right? Trevor Horn explained in his book, I Want My MTV, that video recorders had just come along which changed people's lives. We'd seen people starting to make videos as well, and we were excited by that. It felt like radio was in the past and video was the future, and there was a shift coming, clearly. And they were right on the money, truly. I mean, that's really where the future was headed, and they were right on there with that. So flash forward two years to 1981, MTV was preparing to launch. They themselves were thinking, hmm, what's the first video that we should, like, put out to the world there? Network executives kind of were wondering, like, hmm, yeah, what should we release as the first single? And they came across the Buggles video, Killed the Radio Star. Now, like I mentioned, it wasn't a really big hit over in America, but it was across the pond. And so at first, some of them were thinking, well, why would we put like a nobody, a no name band, like this kind of blast song as the first tune? Like, why would we do that? Some people were questioning, but others were really pushing for it because it was actually making a statement. MTV program director Steve Casey admitted that nobody wanted to launch with Video Killed the Radio Star. They thought we had to play a hit. 
and he said nobody's going to be watching, it's symbolic. The Buggles were actually ahead of their time with making that video and the theme of the whole thing of video killing radio. It makes total sense there. Uh, Robert Pittman explained as well that it made an aspirational statement to use the video. We didn't expect to be competitive with radio, but it was certainly a sea change kind of video. So again, they weren't expecting that MTV would overtake radio completely. They were just kind of doing their own thing and being original, wanting to put out videos for, for music. No one could ever fathom that it would actually overtake radio and radio would take a massive backseat. Um, they just thought it was extremely symbolic that they chose that. And so that's re the reason why, essentially, they chose Video Killed the Radio Star. And what I also didn't know either was that MTV only launched originally within the neighboring communities of New York and New Jersey because that's where it was stationed in New York. Um, and it was like, again, a small little operation at first. And so when it launched on, on the day, a lot of the executives and staff of MTV actually went very close to the station at a local bar to, to see if it would come through on the bar's TV. When it did come on the TV, they were like cheering and hollering like, yes, it worked. Um, so that's fascinating. It was only to the small channels, again, in the neighboring communities of New Jersey and New York, and then it expanded from there. So that's basically a little backstory of why the Buggles tune was the first video to be put on MTV, and it makes perfect sense. So within the first two months of MTV's launch, record stores were selling a lot more music that radio stations, local ones at that, were not even playing because of MTV. Because MTV was putting new artists, new bands in front of people's faces. And it was promoting them and advertising music in a new way unlike ever before. And again, you could only really hear of new and upcoming artists from the radio. And that's how record stores would then make their money, by putting these new people in their stores. But because of MTV... The record stores were selling music that radio stations had never played before. It was fascinating, such as Men at Work in the Human League. Like, the radios were not playing Men at Work in the Human League, but MTV was. It's just so interesting how MTV is so revolutionary in that way. And MTV also sparked what's known as the Second British Invasion. Of course, we all know the First British Invasion with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, the Animals, you know, et cetera, et cetera, in the 60s and all that. But in the 80s, this is the second British invasion, primarily with new wave music. At the time, new wave was like the popular genre, um, like, you know, The Cure, Duran Duran, Soft Cell, Flock of Seagulls, Billy Idol, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like The Smiths, you know, the list goes on and on. Like that's the second British invasion, which I find very fascinating. And what I find fascinating, too, is it's clear that the executives at MTV were really big fans of British music. And it put these bands on the map where previously we would never have heard of these bands before via the local radio stations. It's just, I just thought it was very fascinating. So like I mentioned before, MTV's target audience was really to the youth, right? Their target audience was a range of ages from 12 to 34. So teenagers up to, you know, young adults. However, its self-conducted research showed that over 50% of its actual audience was 12 to 24. So a lot of youths. And this group of people watched for an average of 30 minutes to two hours a day. 
which I think is crazy because for me, I watched MTV practically every single day when I came home from school or like on Saturday and just watched for hours on end. Like I couldn't get enough. So, but back in the day, yeah, of course. I mean, not a lot of kids were plopped in front of the TV for hours and hours and hours on end. They actually went outside and did stuff outside. Um, So 30 minutes to two hours was a lot. It was a lot to keep someone occupied on the TV for that long back in the day. So that's crazy. MTV was also a driving force that catapulted music videos to a mainstream audience, turning those music videos into an art form as well as a marketing machine that became beneficial to artists. And that's absolutely true. Like, instead of just having it be a thing to say, here's a band, here's their new song, it's coming out on May the 7th, buy it now, um, it became more of like an art piece where bands could get creative with expressing their artistic side about their music in a whole different way. Bands could say a lot and express a certain message in a deeper expression in a music video than just with their song. It's just, it's revolutionary stuff that we're talking about here. Like, people could never have even imagined that this would be the future and this would be the norm, but back then this was revolutionary. So now I wanted to give a little bit of information on how the logo actually came about in the branding behind MTV, because I think it's very interesting. Like, MTV's logo genuinely was very iconic and very symbolic of the 80s. Like, the 80s was very color block. The 90s was too. The 90s carried on from a lot of the 80s aesthetic, if you will, in terms of like the color blocking and things like that. Um, But the MTV logo was designed in 1981 by a collective named Manhattan Design. And I did a little bit of a research into Manhattan Design, and they really, really created the total concept of 80s aesthetic. What I kind of remember of 80s aesthetic is geometric shapes, color blocking, and patterns. Vibrant colors and primary colors predominantly. And that's what I envision of the 80s. And they kind of, in a way, put forward that whole aesthetic onto the MTV logo. It's very clear to me. I actually... I like the MTV logo even now, to be honest. I mean, when you have a great logo, I think it stands for itself. So Manhattan Design was predominantly a collective formed by Frank Olinsky, Pat Gorman, and Patty Rogoff. And this was created under the guidance of the original MTV creative director, Fred Siebert. So the block letter M for the logo was sketched by Patty Rogoff with the scribbled word TV spray painted by Frank Olinsky. The primary variant of the MTV logo at the time had the M in yellow and the TV in red. But, of course, at the time, what I thought is really cool, and I don't see a lot of that happening now, is the TV networks, depending on what was playing, the logo would change depending on what was on the TV. There would be different colors, patterns, images, and the logo would change. Kind of, for example, like if MTV was playing a music video that had a jungle in it, the MTV logo would change to be something tropical or whatever or something like that. And I thought that's really creative. Like it just takes it from being a corporate logo into something creative and playful. And that's what makes MTV's logo so iconic. And it's actually like, I think that genuinely, that whole little change right there actually cemented its place within the youth culture. And not just with 
adults. Like, kids were very interested in that stuff. Uh, genuinely, branding is very big. Like, you need to make your stance when you're doing branding. And just having the little variances in the logo like that whenever something on the program changes to reflect that, I think it's really, 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 really cool. The only constant aspects of MTV's logo at the time were its general shape and proportions with everything else being quite dynamic, essentially. From the late 90s to the early 2000s, we all know that MTV changed a lot, and with that, MTV updated its on-air appearance at the beginning of each year and each summer with different variations of the logo. The style of channel-wide branding came to an end as MTV drastically reduced its number of music-related shows in the early to mid-2000s with the coming about of reality TV. Yes, unfortunately, MTV could not <laughs> just be about music anymore. It had to be about reality TV, of course, like it does all the time. Very unfortunate. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, hey, that Dire Straits song, Money for Nothing, where he says, I want my MTV, where does that come into play with this? Maybe some of you weren't thinking that, but I know I was. <laughs> and did you know that I Want My MTV was actually a promotional campaign for the TV channel? It's true. Um, dire Straits weren't the ones that came up with that, but they were the one that were putting that in their music. Quite interesting. I Want My MTV was, was genuinely an advertising campaign that was launched a year later in 1982. And it was first developed by George Lois, who was inspired to do the I Want My MTV based on a cereal commercial from the 50s called Maypo Cereal. I've never heard of it either. Have you? Mm -mm. Um, so the commercial of the Maypo cereal that he was referencing for this was a kid that screams, I want my Maypo. So he took that and he's like, huh, I want my MTV. Very interesting. So he presented this concept to, you know, the suits behind MTV. And he's like, how about we get celebrities to come on MTV and say, hey, tell your local TV stations, your, your local providers to put MTV on the map. Because again, when it started, MTV predominantly only was around the New York, New Jersey area because that's where MTV was located. So to get a wider scope of an audience across the country, across nations, they actually put a call out to the people watching MTV to say, hey, call up your local TV provider and tell them to put MTV on your channel, on your stations, do it. And this became very successful and very, very popular it included celebrities that said, hey, tell your station to put MTV on the map. Tell them I want my MTV. Celebrities that did this included Pete Townsend of The Who, Pat Benatar, Adam Ant, David Bowie, The Police, Kiss, Culture Club, Billy Idol, Hall & Oates, Cindy Lauper, Madonna, Lionel Richie, John Mellencamp, Peter Wolf, Joe Elliott, Stevie Nicks, Rick Springfield, and Mick Jagger, just to name a few. There's a whole lot of those commercials on YouTube that I found fascinating if you want to check it out just to see what they did. So yeah, basically what they would do is they interacted with the MTV logo on air and they encouraged viewers to call their pay television provider and request that MTV be added to their local channel lineups. And eventually this was to actually be an extremely successful <laughs> marketing technique because it worked, like it became massive. And that's what I mentioned with Dire Straits, like 
Dire Straits, they released their song Money for Nothing. And it was all about, you know, of course, you know, big corporations and, you know, uh, technologies and things like that. And of course, they put I Want My MTV in the song because it makes sense. Actually, when you think about the song Money for Nothing, it's a whole I don't want to say puff piece, but it's a whole it's a whole piece about technology and how we're dependent on technology essentially basically if you boil it down that's what it is and so for them to put i want my mtv it makes sense and the music video for the song money for nothing was in regular rotation on mtv when it first released in 1985 so boom there you go so it can't be all sunshine and rainbows with mtv This is a huge point of contention for MTV that I think needs to be talked about because I don't want to just sit here and talk about the fantastic stuff that MTV has done and the revolutionary stuff that they've done. I would be doing a total disservice if I didn't talk about the fact that there was a whole discrepancy back in the day where MTV was not putting out Black artists on their program. Essentially, what it boils down to here is MTV initially started as a way of showing off rock music specifically. They were focused solely on rock music and rock artists. Now, of course, as the 80s was coming about, you had a lot of pop music coming through, right? You had Michael Jackson, you had Prince, you had Eddie Grant, Tina Turner, Whitney Houston, Donna Summer, Grace Jones, Herbie Hancock yada 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 you had all of those amazing artists releasing music and it was pop music it was pop it was r&b it was funk it was soul it was a little different rick james of course is another one with his song super freak you know you just had all of that coming out and mtv was not putting their music on the channel and of course if they had that would have made all those artists major and it would have given them a lot more airtime so People were lambasting MTV for saying, how could you disparage black artists and black musicians by not putting their music on MTV and only putting white-oriented rock music on MTV? And that's part of MTV's history. You know, they refused to put certain music videos of black artists on MTV to give them a foothold. For example, uh, Rick James and his video Super Freak, that was one of the videos that was not allowed on MTV because one executive of MTV thought that the video was distasteful and they didn't want to put it on there. And Rick James has come out against MTV. He did at the time. And he said, this is unacceptable. Like, I don't think Black artists should allow their videos on MTV. And if they did, they're sellouts. He said that about Prince and Michael Jackson. I mean, Michael Jackson would not be where he is today genuinely if MTV hadn't have blasted Billie Jean thriller and beat it on mtv on regular rotation like that's what made him absolutely massive in his own right prince the same thing again with like purple rain 1999 you know um raspberry beret you know whatever eddie grant with electric avenue i mean we have all of these amazing artists that were putting out music but mtv was only wanting to be solely dedicated to rock music and of course, there there absolutely were black artists back in the day that were putting out rock music, of course. But you can't deny the obvious fact that MTV was mainly putting out white musicians that were playing rock films, rock music at the time. And it's crazy that they genuinely were wanting to be separate in that instance. And they got a lot of backlash for that, genuinely, because why would they seclude 
one section of music. It just makes no sense. And I absolutely agree. Some people, you know, of MTV, you know, just are still defending MTV saying, well, we were a rock channel and we only wanted to put out rock music. We didn't want to put pop music out. And it's just like, that's crazy. But of course, again, as the 80s was coming into the decade, a lot more new wave pop R&B music was becoming very popular and mainstream and into the top 40, top 20. So they couldn't ignore it anymore and they had to put it out. You know what I mean? And it's just unfortunate that that had to even be part of the MTV history, but we can't ignore it. And some people, while some people genuinely of MTV were were still saying, hey, we, we were a rock radio station and we didn't want to put pop music out. Some of them were saying, yeah, in retrospect, of course, we regret not putting out pop music sooner and giving those Black artists a platform for their music, of course. I mean, <laughs> you'll have people on both sides of the argument here, but, you know, it's it's unfortunate. Like, Michael Jackson himself genuinely struggled for airtime on MTV, similarly to Prince and Rick James and all the other artists I mentioned before, uh, Lionel Richie and Donna Summer and Eddie Grant all of that. I mean, it's crazy because a lot of those music videos got popular on MTV because it was put on MTV. I mean, just absolutely bonkers to me that that even happened. But hey, that's part of the uh, history there. According to the Austin Chronicle, Michael Jackson's videos for the songs Billie Jean and, of course, Beat It and Thriller, of course, were the videos that broke the color barrier, even though the channel itself was responsible for putting up that barrier in the first place. And what's also crazy was Billie Jean wasn't added to MTV's typical rotation until the song reached number one on the Billboard charts. I mean, that's madness to me. Prince's Little Red Corvette joined Beat It and Billie Jean on heavy rotation as well by the end of April. And at the beginning of June, Electric Avenue joined Billie Jean as well, which was still in heavy rotation by mid-June of that year. And again, like I mentioned, Donna Summer, she works hard for the money. That was also in heavy rotation. Herbie Hancock's Rocket and Lionel Richie's All Night Long were played in that year. And then, of course, it can't be denied that Michael Jackson's Thriller kind of set the bar, really, for how music videos were to be executed and how to be creatively done. It really set the tone for, right, this is the new way to make music videos. He really made it a film, genuinely. And, like, that's now what people were setting as the gold standard. And subsequently, because of all of these videos now being played on MTV when they finally relented and played all these amazing Black artists videos on MTV. Then they actually changed to fit more pop and R&B videos in their daily rotation. So I just had to bring that up because it's part of MTV's history. It's, it's a sad history, but it's part of their actual history. Another genre that I didn't mention before, but I want to bring up now is rap. Well, what happened to rap music? Rap music was coming about in the late 80s, bringing in the early 90s and throughout the 90s, basically. What about rap? Well, what I find really interesting about rap was this was actually brought about pretty much by one man in particular who was working with MTV. And I'm going to butcher his name because it's an Irish name and I'm going to butcher it. So please forgive me. Uh, Peter... Doherty. Oh, I don't think I said that right. Anyway, 
Peter. This man went on to help shape MTV's early identity, most notably as the creator of the influential show Yo! MTV Raps. In the mid-80s, Peter was working in the on-air promotions department of MTV when he began advocating for a show focused on rap music specifically. Peter was in the know, like he knew what was happening in New York with artists and rap artists, not just actual musicians, but actual genuine artists like painters, you know, and graffiti artists at the time. He knew what was happening and he knew rap music and hip hop was up and coming and he wanted a platform for these artists to have their foot in the door to really show off their music to a wider audience. He was a friend of the Beastie Boys personally and producer Rick Rubin and other artists who hung out around the fun gallery in the East Village in New York. That's kind of like Greenwich Village area, kind of, if you will, like Andy Warhol kind of stuff, like Keith Haring kind of stuff. You know, very artsy, very creative, very different, you know, very unique in style. And he was very in that whole crowd and he wanted a foothold for that. He was always the guy who took you to the newest, coolest club, the most underground place. And so he was really trying to, you know, have a place for these people to put their music up. MTV was notoriously, again, not cool with black music being put on MTV at the time. But Peter really insisted and was very, very certain that rap music was to be played on MTV. Like, he would not relent. So, eventually, MTV allowed him to shoot a pilot for Yo! MTV Raps in the late 80s, which was August of 1988, that Yo! MTV was actually broadcasted. And you know what's really funny about that? It became the highest rated show in MTV's history. So... Even though MTV was horrifically not cool <laughs> with black music and black artists having a platform on their show, Yo! MTV Raps was the best decision that they were to ever do, genuinely, because, hello, we wouldn't have music videos of, like, Snoop Dogg and Dr. J and LL Cool J and all those other awesome artists, Tupac, you know, Notorious B.I.G., you know, you know all of them, De La Soul and whatever, like, you know, you know it all, you know. By October of that year, MTV was presenting a weekly version of Yo! MTV Raps at first, with basically maybe once a week they would have MTV Raps with rap artists on there. But the ratings were so high that by March of 89, Yo! MTV Raps became a daily consistent show on MTV, so people could expect that on the daily. So absolutely crazy, like... It showcased rap artists in a major way. It helped to diversify the network. I mean, you couldn't go wrong there. Like, Pete really needs all of the love and support because he really did it all himself. And what's fascinating is Pete himself directed a handful of music videos, including one for the Beastie Boys called Hold It Now, Hit It. And he also directed the Pogues Fairy Tale of New York, which I did a podcast episode on if you want to hear the story about that song. So there you go. We're not done yet, though. There is also another component of MTV that's very important because MTV helped to hold a platform for VJs, which essentially are video jockeys. Of course, you have DJs, right? But video jockeys now became kind of the norm on TV. And the earliest format that was modeled with video jockeys before MTV was to come about was 
a radio station called AOR, which is called Album Oriented Rock Radio. And of course, they were only looking to promote rock music at first. They didn't want to put any other music on there. They were really steadfast at only promoting rock music. However, they saw that their audience was predominantly young kids and interested in the top 40 music. So they eventually began to then promote a wider breadth of music that included, you know, pop and new wave and things like that. So a lot of video jockeys at this time became celebrities in their own right, which before this time wasn't even considered a reality because no one could even think that video jockeys were to be an actual career until the early incarnations of MTV and MTV itself gave these people a platform. And essentially, video jockeys, they themselves curate the music videos as a playlist for you, basically. They're the ones that pick the videos They give some information on the videos. They themselves give interviews and they talk with celebrities and musicians and all that stuff. They get right into it, basically. MTV's five original video jockeys in 1981 were Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, and J.J. Jackson and Martha Quinn. So those people became celebrities in their own right. And what MTV did was they made sure that they used specific language when they talked to the audience to make sure that they gave off an impression of they were talking directly one-on-one with you sitting at home watching MTV. They wanted it to be very personal and casual. They didn't want it to be like, I'm an interviewer and I'm a TV presenter and I'm giving you the facts. They wanted it to be very cool. And I thought what was really interesting as well was they kind of gave these video jockeys like a certain kind of persona Which is fascinating because they wanted to fit with a certain demographic for each of the channels that they were to do. So, uh, for example here, you know, Mark Goodman was kind of the everyday, cool, down-to-earth guy. Another was a jock. Another was the hip radio veteran. Another was the bombshell vixen. And another was the girl next door, basically. Like, there was a person that everybody could relate to on there. Kind of like the Breakfast Club. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could probably relate to one of the people in the Breakfast Club. It it was kind of like that. Like, they wanted to make sure that the kids at home had somebody that they could relate to. And that's how they suckered you in. What's also interesting was at first, they weren't really um, paying these video jockeys well at all. Like, the competitive rate to the MTV and other stations was, like, deplorable, like, They were not paying their VJs well at all. And they also told these video jockeys to not buy permanent residences and to keep their second jobs because they weren't sure that it would even be like a good decision to do this full time. But it eventually became obviously a more permanent move here. In 1984, more record companies and artists began making their own clips, realizing the popularity of MTV in the growing medium of music videos. To accommodate for the influx of videos that were created personally by record companies and artists themselves was that MTV started to announce changes to its playlists on November the 3rd, 1984. Basically, they would rotate their daily playlists, their weekly playlists, so that a lot of people could have their airtime, basically. Another interesting fact was the 1983 film Flashdance with Kevin Bacon. I think everyone knows that film. This was the first film whose promoters supplied MTV with musical clips to compose promotional videos. So that's the really interesting part was now MTV is expanding itself. It's not only just their curated videos 
It's not only the curated videos then of the record companies giving it to the channel MTV, but then they were now creating promotional video clips for films. And Flashdance was the first film to do that. And that's essentially what that is until MTV started taking on reality TV and it completely sunk, of course. The first one that they did was The Real World. I'm not going into that whole descent of the reality TV spectrum of it all. I just wanted to give you the backstory of MTV and how they're just so massively influential in their own right, genuinely. So now I kind of wanted to give you an interesting, fun little list here of the most influential music videos that appeared on MTV. They all have their own standing as very influential for one reason or another. And there's 15 on here. I could give more, but 15 I think is a good estimate here. So the first is Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody in 1975. Of course, this was before MTV was to take off. Obviously, this was just one of the few promotional video clips that were made by an artist back in the day, like I mentioned before with like, again, the Beatles and Bob Dylan and all those other people, right? So Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody became big. And then once MTV came about, obviously it was played on MTV, it became massive. The Talking Heads Once in a Lifetime with the funny little dancing and creative stuff about that came out in 1981. Of course, Michael Jackson's three big hitters, Billie Jean Beat It and Thriller in 1983. Herbie Hancock's Rocket also in 1983. Madonna with her huge tune Borderline in 1984. Dire Straits Money for Nothing in 85. AHA's huge, huge song and accompanying music video Take On Me in 85 as well. The next one is Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer with the Stop Motion in 1986. Guns N' Roses' Welcome to the Jungle in 87. That was one of the first ones that showed a message of corporate Hollywood and an interesting way of producing a music video at that time. Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit in 1991. Yes, absolutely. The next is Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg's Nothing But a G Thang in 1992. Following that is Weezer's Buddy Holly in 94 with the parody of Happy Days. Following is Beastie Boy's Sabotage in 94 as well. Now, this video, from my understanding, is one of the first primary examples of kind of a non-serious comedy sketch that was to ever kind of be made by a big artist as their music video. If this didn't happen, then like Lonely Island and like SNL and those kind of things like wouldn't really have happened either. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's how influential Sabotage became. Britney Spears with her song Baby One More Time in 97. Listen, I had to put my girl Britney Spears on here, okay? Like, listen, her video for that song was massive. We all know it. We all know, okay? We all know about that one. And then the most recent one is OK Goes, Here It Goes Again from 2006 with the hugely creative video, the one take film of them on the treadmills. I thought that was such a creative video, genuinely. I, like, that's how simple a video can be, but it's so effective and how it comes across. It's so, so good. Ah, yes, but that in a nutshell is the history of MTV and how it came about and how it forever changed music history. I hope you guys enjoyed that story and that you learned something today that you hadn't known about before. 
Again, I don't want to talk about how MTV has totally plummeted to the ground and has forever changed from when they went from being solely based on music to then putting out horrible fake reality TV shows because... I think I stopped watching MTV by maybe 2006 or 7-ish. I mean, it, it's just horrible. Like, they were all about the music, right? And then they thought, oh, we have to tap into this market with the reality TV. Like, no, you don't. But unfortunately, you did. And it cost you a lot to do that. And um, yeah, unfortunately, MTV no longer really does music videos anymore. They do, I think, I don't know, I think they do, but they don't do a lot of it. Like, it's mostly just the um, reality TV shows, unfortunately. But that's the story of MTV and its history. I hope you guys enjoyed, and I hope you guys have an awesome rest of your day and an awesome rest of your week. Um, have a great rest of your day, and I will see you guys next week with another episode of On The Mix. Talk to you guys later. Bye, guys. Bye.